Just kidding. Just sort of. <laughs> um, my name is Joe Davis. I'm the lead teacher here uh, in the garden. Just a couple things really quick. Starting in the first Sunday in October, we're going to add an 11 o'clock service here in the garden. Just so, so, so for some of you that have a three or four hour prayer time in the morning on Sunday, have a hard time getting to church, we're going to start at 11. So keep that in mind. Also, I want to make sure you know next week, um, not to downplay what we're talking about this week, but next week I'm really excited about where the book of Galatians is taking us. So be sure to keep that in mind and pray for it. I'm excited about next week's message. Um, it's going to be very, I think it's going to be very powerful. This week, um, I'm also very excited about this because it's about con a, a conflict and confrontation. And I love watching that unfold. Not my own, but like if you guys were fighting with one another, I, I, you know, MMA, WWF, Homeowners Association, whatever the fight may be. <laughs> I love watching, <laughs> so um, is this, put the mouse over there for me, Mike, make sure that's working, there we go, oh, not that, don't play that yet, that would be a bummer, all right, well, I'll just go ahead and, while they're working that out, um, the name of the message obviously is, I won't back down in this series on Galatians that we're doing, that grace and religion equals oil in water. And today we're looking at Galatians 2, verses 11 through 14. So the words that I'm going to put up there are kind of small. I didn't want to break it up into two slides. If you can't read it, just listen, or just listen to me, or if you have it on your phone, an app, or if you have a Bible with you, you can follow along. Galatians 2, 11 through 14. But when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Yeah, boy, I like that. Because he stood condemned. For before certain men he came from, that, that came from James, he was eating with Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And we talked a little bit about what the circumcision party was last week. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. And Barnabas, remember, was one of Paul's closest friends when he was going through his missionary journeys. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before everyone, if you, though like a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? And so this is a conflict that happens. And it, it's really interesting, right? There's, a, there's actually a few references in the New Testament to a conflict between Peter and Paul. And if you guys remember, when we go through a passage of Scripture, we always have to look at it three different ways, right? First of all, we ask this, the historical question. What did man do? Why did he do it? How did he do it? Then we ask the second question, which is the theological question. What does God do? Why does he do it? And how does he do it? Then the third application of every passage is the devotional application. What do I do? Why do I do it? How do I do it? So we're going to do that again. We want to look at the historical application of this passage. What is it that Peter did? <clears throat> well, just so you understand, there were many Jews in the first century who believed that eating with Gentiles was wrong. As a matter of fact, there were Jewish Christians who had tasted the grace of Jesus Christ and the work of the cross and had been set free from the bondage of religion in the temple 
And they still wanted to hold to certain rules, like, for example, circumcision. And they were teaching Gentiles, and the whole reason that Paul writes the book of Galatians is they were going behind him and teaching Gentiles, you have to be circumcised if you really want to be a Christian. And another rule they had was, we cannot eat with Gentiles, even if they're Christians. Silly, stupid, religious rule. And so many Jews believed that eating with the Gentiles was wrong. And now what's interesting is before this story happens, Peter had no problem eating with Gentiles. Peter saw what God was doing through Paul in Galatia and other places. Peter saw all these Gentiles coming to know Jesus. And Peter was excited and Peter was in full, complete fellowship with non-Jewish believers. But then some guys come from the Apostle James and I'm not sure what the connect... I don't think we can necessarily blame James for this. I'm not sure. I can't... But for some reason, Peter was afraid of these Jewish believers that were coming. And he decided, I'm going to separate myself from the Gentiles. Because, you know, legalism... And let me make sure I define to you what legalism is. Legalism says you have to do certain things a certain way at a certain time at a certain place to be godly. And there are a lot of people who are very passionate. Sometimes we see legalism in music. Sometimes we see it in preaching. Sometimes we see it in a lot of different places. And you know what I've discovered over the course of my time as a pastor? Legalism is very easily offended. When somebody has a heart of legalism, they were easily angered people. They're easily offended, and they're very quick to judge. And that is the situation here. Peter is afraid of very weak, easily offended Jewish Christians. So he separates himself, and he rejects Gentile believers, and he does not eat with them or fellowship with them. Now, Peter's actions are hurtful, and they're unbiblical. They're hurtful to Gentile brothers and sisters, and unbiblical because it adds to the works of the gospel. It's saying, it's not just enough to trust Christ, but I am identifying with these Jewish believers who believe you must be circumcised, and believe it's not right for me to eat with you. I am identifying with them, and it adds something to the gospel. So why was Paul so upset? Well, first of all, Peter's actions misrepresented the gospel of God's grace and played right into the hands of the false teachers who were trying to persuade the Galatians that not not only must they trust Jesus for salvation, but they must also keep Jewish customs and laws in order to be right with God. Jesus is not enough. You need us. You need the temple. You need Moses. And his law. So Peter does this, and Paul is very upset about this. As a matter of fact, Paul was upset because Peter's example was a very bad influence, not just to Gentile Christians, but other Jewish Christians. Say, whoa, whoa, Peter's an apostle. Peter's like one of the main guys. If Peter says it, then so be it. Peter believes it, that settles it. And so you can see how this would be a very bad influence on other Jewish Christians. And Peter would also be a discouragement to the faith of the Gentiles who might believe, well, I guess I have to be circumcised. I'm 32. 
That's not going to be good. I guess I have to worship in the temple. Well, I guess I have to keep the Jewish laws. Yes, and I guess until that, I'm not allowed to eat with Peter and the rest of the Jewish people who believe in the same Jesus. What a discouragement that must have been. So what does Paul do? Paul calls Peter out face to face. The way Jesus taught his disciples to handle conflict in Matthew 18. If a brother offends you, go to him. If he doesn't hear you, then go with another. If he doesn't hear you, then go with a few others. And after that, take it to the whole church. Paul calls Peter out face to face the way Jesus taught him. And I got to tell you something. Think about it. This would take a lot of confidence, would it not? And courage. Because remember, Paul was not one of the original apostles who walked and talked with Jesus for three years. Paul became an apostle because Jesus appeared to him later. After the resurrection, Jesus comes back. Paul's on the way to Damascus to slay and kill and slaughter a bunch of Christians. And Jesus appears to him, shares him the gospel, and saves his heart. So for Paul to have the confidence to stand up, a Johnny-come-lately apostle, if you will, to stand up in front of everyone and say, Hey, Peter, you got this all wrong, dude. What do you think you're doing? How can you who have trusted in Christ and been set free, expect these Gentiles to follow all the laws you were set free from in the first place. See, Paul would rather risk offending a prominent Jewish believer like Peter and those coming from James than to allow the gospel message to be undermined in any way. I mean, I can only imagine, guys, I can only imagine the passion that Paul had. I, can, I mean, I can relate to it a little bit as a pastor. I can only imagine the passion that Paul had for his Gentile sheep, his Gentile converts. Only a pastor's heart could have this, right? I can only imagine how it must have angered him or how he probably felt the hurt that they were feeling when Peter rejected them. As well as I could see how you'd be frustrated with the poor message it would send to others if they saw Peter do this as an apostle. I mean, in writing this, Paul puts a huge, yo Galatians, I have your back. I'm an apostle. Matter of fact, I was a much better Jew than Peter. He goes through and explains that. Remember we talked about that a couple weeks ago? If there's anybody that could be a Jew... Like a top-notch, top-five Jew, it's me. Fourth Fortune 500 Jew list, me. I'm there. I'm the guy. And I'm telling you, when Peter did this, he was wrong. I called him out face-to-face. Yo, Galatian, Gentile believers, I'm the Apostle Paul. I love you. I'm your pastor. I got your back. And I won't back down from this message. I love that. So what's the theological application? Here's what the gospel did for us. First of all, God destroyed ethnic barriers with the gospel. We talked about that a little bit a couple weeks ago, did we not? How the gospel has this amazing track record of saving people from all over the world, all different cultures and ethnicities and backgrounds and regions. God can bring them all together through the gospel. 
And we talked about how most religions, while there's some pockets of different religions in different parts of the world, for the most part, most other world religions are very regionally based. But the gospel is global. You know what else God does with the gospel? He renders religious rules pointless, meaningless. You understand, this unity would display the glory of God, would it not? I mean, he saves them not on the basis of who they are or what they have done, but by sheer, unadulterated, uncompromised, unpolluted grace. No race of believers would be superior to another. That's what God set up. You know what else God does with the gospel? He set the gospel up in this way. It doesn't need your help. Personally or corporately. God has created a gospel that is all-inclusive, self-contained, and the gospel of Jesus Christ is able to save all on its own without extra religious intervention and made-up schemes of man. As a matter of fact, Peter later gets this. Check this out. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I now understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Peter learned his lesson. He went to Paul University. So what is it exactly that we're supposed to do with this? What is the devotional application? First of all, I think, well, I'm just saying from my, when I'm studying this, I get the devotional application primarily for what God is telling me that I'm supposed to do or how I'm supposed to react. And so it could be a little different from you. Probably not. Just kidding. But here's what it should look like. First of all, I think you can be encouraged from Paul's actions. Can't you be, I mean, if the, I think the Galatians were really encouraged. Wow, Paul ain't playing. And then I think we can also be encouraged with Paul's actions, and then also we can follow Paul's example of commitment. Man, Paul did not care who it was or what they said. He knew what Jesus taught him, and he was not going to let anyone knock him off his commitment to the gospel. Think about this, guys. Why would Paul give up everything that he had ever accomplished in his life to become an apostle, to preach the gospel that he hated so much just a few years earlier? I mean, think about it. That's a miracle. Right? It'd be like Donald Trump giving away all his money and saying, I've decided to be homeless the rest of my days. <laughs> I'm not kidding. That's kind of what it would be like. Why? Because Jesus himself taught Paul the gospel. That's why he was an apostle. You know what else I love about what happens here? It allows us to realize it's okay to have an obsession. Just a sheer obsession with mercy and grace. Guys, I can't get enough of this stuff. I, I hate legalism. I hate laws. I hate people telling me, this is how you're supposed to be godly. You know what I love? This is how you get grace. This is how you get... I'm obsessed with it. And I think we can be too. I know this. 
Paul was obsessed with the gospel of grace and mercy. He was consumed by it. That's all he could think about. I think we can also have great comfort in Paul's stand against Peter. Because what it does is it affirms Paul's authority as an apostle, does it not? And so now we know that Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, I think we can take his stuff pretty seriously. I think we can trust the epistles of Paul. Because even Peter recognized, Paul got me on this one. He's right. His confidence and the ensuing affirmation of this perspective at the Jerusalem Council verifies for me even more so that we have the right gospel. The Jerusalem Council, we talked about it last week around 50 AD. All the apostles that were still alive, all the big leaders in the churches from all over, different regions came together in Jerusalem and they decided, yes, salvation is through Jesus and faith alone, not by works. What Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, 8, 9 is correct. That was the edict the Jerusalem Council came forth with. Guys, there's a lot of stuff going on right now in the church, the American church in general. There's a lot of talk about the gospel, the authority of scripture, different things like that. They can have that, but we can have confidence that what Jesus taught Paul was the truth. Look at this passage. Look what Paul writes to the Corinthians. For I deliver to you as of first importance, the most important thing, what I received. He says, the most important thing I taught you is the same thing that I was taught, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, Cephas Peter, and then to the 12, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So what is it exactly that I'm asking you to have confidence in? You want me to spell it out for you? I love doing this. You may not be able to read this. If you can, great. But I'm going to go through the Apostles' Creed for you. Number one, we believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and the earth. God, we believe, is creator and he is sustainer. Period. We believe that. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. That shows the deity and perfection of Jesus. We believe it. The next one, he ascended into heaven, or he, 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 uh, he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. And then he descended into hell, and on the third he arose again from the dead. He died for us so that we could live. We believe it. Then he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Victory over the grave. Remember I talked about it a little bit a few weeks ago from Isaiah? Oh grave, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? Remember? Kind of trash talk. Yo death, where are you at, playa? Remember that? He rose and he sit at the right hand of the Father. And the next part, from hence, 
He will come to judge living in the dead. And Paul teaches us that they are judged by faith, which is what, guys? And not works. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Spirit who dwells within us. We've talked about that so many times in here. We believe in the Holy Church. That means by which, the means by which God takes the gospel to the world. We believe in the church. Holy means separated. It does not mean perfect. It doesn't mean stainless. It means sanctified, set apart. We believe in the communion of saints. We are one people, no matter what nationality, no matter what ethnicity, no matter what culture, no matter what origin. We believe in the communion of saints. We believe in the forgiveness of sins through the death of Jesus who died in our place on the cross for our sins. We believe in the forgiveness of sin through Jesus. We believe it. You know what else we believe in? We believe in the resurrection of the body. We believe in life everlasting. We believe there is eternal consequences for faith that are glorious. We believe there are eternal consequences for those who lack faith. And it's treacherous. <clears throat> the power of the gospel, of this gospel is what we live by. It's what we live for. It's what we stand for. No matter what, no matter who tries to say it's not the power of God for salvation, we know it is. And Rich Mullen, Mullins, who's a Christian artist, he's been dead for several years. He was kind of before his time in a lot of ways. I love what he says about it. In his song called The Creed, I believe what I believe is what makes me what I am. In other words, it's not my rule following, it's not my works, but it's the gospel that makes me what I am. I didn't make the gospel. No, it is making me. It is the very truth of God, and it is not the invention of any man. We're going to play Rich Mullins' song for you with words up on the screen. I want you to just sit back and try to bathe yourself in the confidence of the gospel. Don't worry about what's being said right now. Go back to 50 AD and the Jerusalem Council and the people who walked and talked with Jesus, who taught them the gospel, and all came together and said, Paul is right. Grace by faith and not works. <laughs> 